This is a conversation with Melissa and Karen Vladek of Whistler Partners, a legal recruiter. Melissa wanted to put this out with the disclaimer that the audio on her side of the call is not our usual standard. Please enjoy this edition of the Mighty Merc Podcast featuring Karen Vladek of Whistler Partners. Wouldn't you love a backstage pass to candid discussions at the crossroads of motherhood, justice, community, entrepreneurship, mentoring, and success? Host Melissa Rosenblum is one of only a few women certified by the Supreme Court of New Jersey as a criminal trial attorney. When you add kids, a booming law business, and a little black book full of subject matter experts, you've got the Mighty Merp Podcast. That's MightyMERP.com. Welcome to the Mighty Merp Podcast. This is Melissa Rosenblum, your host, and I'm here today talking to Karen Vladek. And we're going to be discussing surviving during the first five years of parenthood. And Karen's going to give us some North Stars of parenting young kids while juggling a career. Welcome, Karen. Hi, Melissa. Thanks so much for having me. I am really excited to have this conversation with you, even though my kids are not young anymore. Mm-hmm. But, um, oh my goodness, I wish, I don't know if I would listen, but I wish I had insights uh, when the kids were little of what to expect, um, because I don't think I did. So I'm really excited to talk to you. But before we jump into the surviving during the first five years of parenthood, um, could you tell me a little bit about yourself and um, maybe sort of where you started uh, education-wise and where you are in your career now? Yeah, of course. So I um, right, I am a legal recruiter, so I should say that up front. So I was a lawyer for 13 years before I went into recruiting. And you know, one of the things that I talk about, and I'm sure we'll get into later on, is thinking about the ways in which your career twists and turns over time. But I started, I went to, I guess if you want my full background in education, I went to Cornell for undergrad, I went to Miami for law school, I then clerked on the Maryland Supreme Court for a year. Uh, my clerkship ended at the height of the last true recession, right, the 08 recession. Um, and I started as a litigator in a regional firm in Maryland. And then I moved to Aaron Fox, a big law firm in DC, um, for a number of years before my husband and I moved to Austin, Texas, where we reside now and have for the last six and a half years. Um, before I was a recruiter, I was a partner at a boutique here in Austin. I was an employment law partner. Um, and I think my real drive for employment law and love of connecting people is what led me to the path of being a legal recruiter. And I absolutely love it. I tell people every day I am doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing with my life, which is helping people find their best jobs. So that is my general background. And because we're gonna talk about parenting, I will also mention my children. So I have a six and a half year old named Madeline. We call her Maddie, she's in first grade. And then I have a four-year-old named Sydney who is in pre-K. I was about to ask you, and how old are your kids? And, yes. And um, do you have a partner that you parent with? Or do you parent I do someone? have a partner. Yes, I do have a partner that I parent with. So I have my husband, Steve, who is a law professor at the University of Texas um, and is also a lawyer. So we have a two-lawyer parent household. And... Uh, he is very much my co-parent, so that helps, and um, he and I share lots and lots of responsibilities. Great, and so I'm going to, before we jump into the North Stars of parenting, did mm -hmm. you know you wanted to be a lawyer? I saw it with your undergrad, you had yes. a labor focus in undergrad, mm -hmm. and then you went to law mm -hmm. school, so when you were yeah. growing up, did you say, I want to be a lawyer? Yeah, so I, I mean, my, my college essay for Cornell was definitely about wanting to be a lawyer. Um, I didn't necessarily know I wanted to be an employment lawyer, but I think, so I went to the School of Industrial and Labor Relations at Cornell, which is this kind of niche major that Cornell has had. And it came out of a post-World War II union management discussions, but it sort of morphed into more of like, I think they call it like managing the world of work now, which is again like sort of consistent with what i do now every day but like um 
being an ILR, which is what the major is called there, um, really cemented that I wanted to be an attorney. And I loved, I still love counseling people and talking through issues. And, um, you know, I, I think that helping people work through complicated issues and distilling them down to one thing at a time is really sort of the essence of lawyering and the essence of what I do now. And so I learned that then I didn't, I probably couldn't have articulated it as such in high school, but it wasn't all that different for, you know, what I wanted to do. So yes, I think I wanted to be a lawyer from probably high school. Before that, I sort of thought, you know, all we all have like weird dreams. I was like, I want to be an interior designer. I want to be a singer. Yeah, I want to be on Star Search, you know, all those things. So it wasn't like I was four years old saying like, mom, where's my copy of the constitution? But, um, and I didn't grow up in a family of lawyers, I should say. So my husband grew up in a family of lawyers. He's the third generation in his family to argue before the US Supreme Court. He's definitely a lifetime lawyer. And that was sort of like a path devised for him, I would say. But I um, I was not from a family of lawyers and I am in fact the only lawyer in my family. You know what, I am too. And I am the first lawyer in my family. So mm -hmm. I didn't have, you know, that um, know where my path was going. Um, but it is funny because I have four children and I don't know if you know, my kids are 22, 20, 20, and 18. And yes, mm -hmm. I have twins. I did not have two 20 year olds uh, in one year. <laughs> and uh, right now out of the four of them, two of them are thinking law. And clearly mm -hmm. it's because it's what you see, you know, and yeah. that's what interests them. Um, but wow, for Steve, a lot of pressure. <laughs> Yeah, luckily he has lived up to it. I don't know if our children are going to be fourth generation lawyers. They, uh, they, one of them has said a hundred percent no. She does not want to go to law school. She wants to have an art school for kids, and the other one is four. And all she cares about is buying. There's a house on our street that is pink, and all she wants to do is live in the pink house and have babies. So wow. that's. Fine with me too. I respect that. Since 100%. all of all of my logos and information is pink, but I didn't find they know because my kids when they were that age were like, I want to be an ice cream scooper or yeah. I want to be a farmer, um, and and those type of things. So I mean, I think that the little one, the older one, she just really likes art, so she's like. Oh, but the, the older one is 100% sure she wants to live in Washington, D.C. So she was born in D.C. We moved here when she was a baby. Um, and she has definitely romanticized the idea of living in D.C. So, you know, time will tell. I, I try not to push them towards any one thing. So did you like being a lawyer? Um, and I ask that because um, I always wonder when people shift out of careers as mm -hmm. a lawyer, whether it's not their love for law anymore, or is it parenthood that changes it, or how it evolves? I actually really loved being a lawyer. And now I say that I get to do all the really fun stuff about being a lawyer um, without having to actually build time. So one thing that I was just, I always loved the one-on-one -on -one connections with clients. Um, so in employment law, I think one of the main things that makes a really good employment lawyer is understanding that a lot of our clients are actually in HR. They're not necessarily attorneys. And so there's so much of what we do is really like a human aspect of that. It's not just like having rote memorization of the laws and how those laws affect industries, but really understanding how those industries work, how we can help people move the ball forward, um, all of those things, right? And so I get to do all of those fun things still as a recruiter. And, but I don't have to do the things that I didn't really enjoy. Like I never really enjoyed taking depositions. I liked the idea of being in court and I was good at it, but I didn't, I, I didn't like the pre preparation time. And, you know, I had sort of made it to like, the holy grail of lawyering. I was a partner in a boutique firm. I had total flexibility over my schedule. I made great money. But I looked at my partners who were like 10 years above me, still taking depositions and still doing all those things. And I just thought, gosh, I, I don't want to do that. Um, and so I, it was a long process for me, sort of getting to recruiting of like, where do I fit into the world of law? Because I knew I still wanted to be a lawyer in, mm -hmm. or, or 
how about I say this? I knew I still wanted to be lawyer adjacent, right? I still wanted to be involved in law. My husband and I both know so many lawyers. That was very central to my identity. Um, and so going to the business side of law really was, uh, now that I have hindsight, it, it feels very clear, like obviously that would make sense, but it wasn't quite such a direct path as I'm making it sound. There were a lot of twists and turns to getting here. Um, and so to answer your initial question, yes, I really did like being a lawyer. I just didn't want to keep doing all the things that I had to do to get to the next level of lawyering. And so that's why I came up with a different career path. Right. So I was asking the question because one, I'm sure you know, statistically right now in law school, it's about 50, 50 men and women, a little mm -hmm. bit more actually women, but mm -hmm. practicing, um, the numbers are drastically different. The, the numbers right. of men versus women. And right. I know when I was pregnant, now remember, my oldest is 22, so this is 23 years ago. Um, I, and I worked at a public defender's office. I worked at the Philadelphia Public Defender's Office. And people would see me in the elevator pregnant, and uh, we were on like seven or eight floors, so sometimes you'd go months without seeing people. And they'd look at me and they'd say, so you're going to retire once the baby's born and mm. I remember being so offended by it and I remember yeah. thinking no I have the same amount of school as you do and obviously it was mostly men that said it and I said no I'm going to have the baby and I'm going to come back to work and and that's what I did after my first one um, back full-time after a few months of maternity but I will acknowledge it was a lot harder than I expected it to be. I mean, I really mm -hmm. thought I was going to have the baby, you know, be home for maternity and then go back to work without an issue. And it was hard. It was really hard. And that surprised me. But mm -hmm. um, so that's why I asked, because I do know, and I know a lot of women I went to law school with that, like, had to shift gears um, as they had kids. Either they wanted to or they needed to for whatever reason. Yeah. And I think, look, that all plays a part, right? <clears throat> I think my husband and I, you know, my husband travels a lot. I think, um, you know, we both value, obviously, me having a career and being successful. But I also, like, I would really encourage listeners that, like, there's more than one way to slice and dice a law career, right? Like, if you want a gun for partner, like, that's amazing. I fully support you. If you want to do something that's law adjacent, that's awesome. If you want to open your own firm, that's awesome. Like, you only have one life on this planet. Don't do something because you think somebody else has an expectation of you or that's what you think you're supposed to do or you're worried about what people are going to judge you for doing in your career. Like, if I had those concerns and, and it took me a while to get over them, right? Mm -hmm. I would still, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now and I absolutely love it. So, like, you know, if you're in that elevator and you and, and a man says to you you're going to retire right and you say oh, i'm never going to retire because i have so much education but like deep down you really want to stay home with your kid like that's okay it's okay right. i'd be like home, stay home right? yeah right like it's okay you don't owe anybody anything in this profession you you just have you know one of like you know we talked about north stars but like a north star of a career is like where do you see yourself? Like, where do you see yourself in five years and in 10 years? And like, you're not gonna care what somebody, I promise you that the more senior you get, you're just not gonna care what anybody else thinks about your career. Oh, and I, you shouldn't. Yeah, I agree, absolutely. And I, I say to young attorneys now, it's okay to change whatever those goals are. And I'm gonna, absolutely. I'm gonna give you the example that I always say. I had my first child, I went back to work full time. And that's what I wanted to do. And then I had twins, and my twins are less than two years younger than my daughter. And uh, I went back to work part-time, three days a week, still at the Philadelphia Public Defender's Office. And I call that like tapping on the brakes. I just needed mm -hmm. to like tap on the brakes a bit. And then when my youngest was born two years later, so four kids under the age of four, um, I was off for a year, that was my maternity, and I went into the office and I said to the head of the office, I think I have to resign. And she said, no, no, come back when you're ready. And I said, I don't know when I'll be ready. 
And so I resigned. And then I started teaching at uh, Rowan University in New Jersey. And I was in their law and justice department as an adjunct professor. And I did that for years. And I loved it. And then when my youngest went into kindergarten, I went back to work full time. And I worked at a small criminal defense firm. I became a partner there. And when my partner became a judge, I opened up my own firm. And I work crazy hours now. Three out of my four kids are in college. My fourth one's a senior. And so throughout my career, I kept having to shift gears depending on where they were. Sometimes I was going full speed. Sometimes I tapped on the brake. Sometimes I said, nope, I'm going to just stop the car right now. And it worked, and it's okay to have those adjustments, those gear shifts. Yeah. Actually, one of my, so I think that this conversation um, came out of a talk that I gave recently at the Authentic Lawyer Summit about, like, my top 10 things with parenting. And one of them, number three, was you'll never regret making a decision that's right for your family in the moment with the knowledge that careers are long. So basically, like, exactly what you just said, which is you cannot make every decision for your whole career at any given time because everything with kids and in life is just a snapshot of a moment right and like maybe you didn't know exactly what was going to be next maybe you didn't know that you were going to have your own firm one day or maybe you did you know and it was all part of like a grand orchestrated plan but like most of us are really just making decisions at a snapshot moment in time that's best for our family right now and in my experience like you'll never regret saying okay, this is what I need right now. I have four kids. They're all under six. I have to, I cannot be doing what I was doing before. When now when they're older, maybe I'll pick that back up. And like, that's okay. And knowing that like, you will have twists and turns that happen in your career and that careers are really long is super helpful. Oh, I agree. I can't wait to hear the rest of the list, but I was going to tell you, the having my own firm, um, the joke is I like begrudgingly opened up my own firm. Like, you know, I had friends that were like, open up your firm, open it up. And I was like, no, no. Like, I was scared. I had four kids I had to support. And uh, I jokingly said I was like hanging from the cliff and they were like pulled my finger off one by one and then said, go fly. And honestly, it was the best decision they ever made. But, but at the same time, not in my plan. All right, so I love number three. Let's go to, I'm going to just say, let's go to number one. Let's go through your top 10 list and see where we go. Well, it goes in reverse order, but that's good. So number 10 is, you know, and you will definitely identify with this having had, you know, very young kids, very close in age, which is like, if you're going through hell, keep on going, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, you you hear it with newborns. And this, this talk, by the way, or this discussion is focused on people with kids zero to five, mostly because I think that that's like a really hard moment. And a lot of people, you know, as you said, sort of are confused about how it's going to fit into their career. And so this was sort of, I hope, giving people encouragement that like, A, it doesn't last forever, right? And B, like there are ways to sort of survive it and maybe even like thrive during that time. So it's a know, blink. It's a blink. Yeah. Really. When you hear, when you, you hear the saying about newborns, like as soon as you get used to a stage, it changes. And I've I have found that to be pretty much consistently true for the last seven years of being a parent, right? So like potty training, the terrible threes, which are not terrible twos, they really are terrible threes. Oh my goodness. The sleep regression, all of it. I agree with right? you. I tell people yeah. three is the worst and odd years are worse than even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, but like it all ends, right? Like these things all end. And I promise listeners like no matter how hard it is for them in the exact moment like it will one day be a distant memory so like if you're in a hard moment or maybe you're in a great moment like it's all temporary and you know you can't have it all at once you can have it all but just not maybe all at once and like this is the same concept you might have something really going great in one area of your life but terrible in another just keep on going like in the area that's terrible just keep putting one in front of the other and it really will eventually turn around um, and if it doesn't, then you can do something to change it. But I have used the if you're going through hell, keep on going mantra so many times <laughs> in parenting, and it has worked. There you go. I, I agree. I agree. And I do think it, these stages go by faster than people even imagine. You know, and one night, if you have really little ones, I remember when my youngest started sleeping through the night, and I was getting mm-hmm. for the first time in really maybe five, five years, years yeah. of full yeah. night's sleep and I just, yeah. it was like the sky opened up and I was like oh my goodness 
How did yeah. I exist? And then the truth is, yeah. I can't imagine it now. You know, it just seems I like know. ages ago. All right, I love that. I all right, number nine. So this is about building your village, which is different than childcare, right? So number eight is about childcare. Number nine is about your village. But this was one that was and really continues to be hard for me because our closest family is 2,500 miles away. We're basically on our own in Texas. We don't have grandparents. We don't have relatives here. But And I remember when we moved to Austin in 2016 from D.C., I had a six-month-old and I thought, oh, I'll just like go to the park and make all these friends. But what I hadn't really accounted for was that I would be at work all day and the baby that like mostly napped on the weekend. And I had missed that window in my 20s to make non-baby friends in Austin. And so I found that time to be really hard. Um, And so like if you're in that situation with a young baby and you're feeling isolated, Again, keep going, right? I found a much more supportive community as my friends have gotten older, and I'm sure this is true for you as well. And you know, whether that be through friends at school, their friends at school, right? So like, they they now have real friends, and I'm like really friends with the moms, or through my own networking efforts because I now have more free time, right? I'm not, I don't have a baby stuck to my boob all the time. I'm not mm-hmm. pumping all the time. I don't have all these things that like hold me back as much as being able to go out there and play tennis and do other things. And so the really early years of those kids can be so hard for building your village. And if you're struggling with it, like keep going and it does get easier. Right. And the village doesn't have to be a big village. It can be it doesn't. one you or really two women. You really need like three or four friends. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And honestly, the way that I found it, and I, you know, I think you and I are both extroverts, but like, I, and so the, the number of people is really dependent on what you need in your life to feel fulfilled but like that one or two good friends like they'll introduce you to their one or two good friends and then all of a sudden you have four friends and like it's exponential you know what I mean and so I have really found that and I always say like I am a connector which is obviously why recruiting is a natural fit for me but like even if you are introverted, you can still be more of a croissant than a bagel. I don't know if you've ever heard that expression. I like, have it. Tell me. I, I love so like, both. So. so like a croissant, if you think about the shape of a croissant versus a bagel, think about it like when a group of people are standing around, right? So like a bagel is a closed circle. You have your friends. You're not inviting anybody in. A croissant is a semicircle, essentially, right? So you're always inviting more people in. And like, always be a croissant, invite people into your circle, right? Even you don't have to be best friends with them. You don't have to get lunch with them every single day. But like, the more people that I have allowed to get into my own circle, and then those people get to be friends. And then you know what I mean? It just exponentially grows. And that's what I mean about building your village. Like, we had last year, I mean, last last year, (laughs) two weeks ago, my um, four week old had like a crazy fever, you know, and I'm texting with some mom friends four and then like the next thing I know. Four. I'm so sorry, Karen, four year old, yeah. not four weeks. My four year old, yeah, not my 40 year old. My 42 year old did not have a fever, not done by it. Although he did get strep from her. Um, and like, you know, I looked out my window and without asking, like one of my mom friends had just dropped groceries off because she just knew she was, she was grocery shopping. She picked up some soups. She dropped them off on her front porch. Like that wouldn't have been possible six and a half years ago when we moved here. Cause I didn't know anybody. Right. right. <laughs> so like no one would have dropped off groceries. And like some people live in the same town that they grew up in. Right. And they've got plenty of people around and this advice does not apply to you. Right. Uh, but if you are like me having moved to a place where you maybe don't know people or you don't know as many people like try to be that croissant because it will bring people into your life. Right. I mean, I personally would prefer to eat a bagel, but it might, but to be a personality, be the croissant. It's like being the ripple, you know, also it's that uh, same idea. And I, I agree with you. And, you know, there's, you know, I think that for especially women that don't have, that friend group or that support group of other moms really uh that is when the isolation or the yeah. loneliness and or depression come into play you know absolutely um, because it's hard it's it's you know as much as um being a lawyer is hard um parenting those first five years i think was probably the hardest job they are really, really hard. So number eight, and this is where it comes into play if you do you know, stay in the workforce, is you absolutely have to have reliable childcare. Like there is, 
there is a reason that you hear people refer to stay-at-home parents as having a full-time job because it, it is, right? Child raising during the day is a full-time job and you cannot have two full-time jobs. So you absolutely need good, reliable childcare. And, you know, I've been always very open and honest about how we have done that, which is we've used a two-prong approach to this since our girls were very young. And we've used preschool plus an afternoon nanny or babysitter, right? And we still do that seven years in. So the babysitter is the same person. You know, we try to have that same person rotate for like two or three years. We're lucky to live in a college town. So it's usually a college student. They pick up the girls from school. They bring them home. They help around dinner time. They help clean up. But the main, and now my oldest one, of course, is in elementary school, so it's different. But in the first five years, our main source of childcare was a really reliable daycare that was open and open a lot, right? Not mm-hmm. a daycare that is nine to twelve and closed every other Thursday. And like that's not that's okay if you have a full time nanny too. But don't look. I see these moms with a very young kids that are also struggling with work and they're like, I, my baby's home. Like I have a right. part-time person and I'm like, you will, you can't be successful. Like it's not possible to be successful if you are also having a second full-time job, even like two part-time jobs. Right. So like even working part-time and then, having your kid in school from like nine to 12, that's really hard. Right? Is, like, you, you don't get a second to yourself. And yes. And you don't, you still have to pick up and then, you know, drop off and pick up. And I, I completely agree. And I also, um, you know, the stress of if it's unreliable or if you're coming home to chaos. Um, chaos, totally. I had sitters from the time I went back to work full-time when my youngest went into kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And um, it was college students around that age, and they'd stay with us for like a year or two years. Yeah. And um, I remember I, I moved my family. I was commuting like an hour. And so we moved from, I don't know if you're familiar with New Jersey at all, but from the Cherry Hill area, which is very close to Philly, to the Atlantic City area, which was uh, mm-hmm. an hour away. And um, I remember I hired somebody and I, I wasn't like, I had that feeling. I, I always tell people go with their instinct on this. I wasn't like fully committed, but I just was so desperate. And I remember coming home one day to chaos. I had middle school kids and there was like fire detectors going off because they had a perfume fight. And uh, they still laugh about it now. They're like, we fired the sitter. You, you fired the sitter because <laughs> of the perfume. And I was like, I couldn't come home to the chaos. It yeah. was, you know, yeah. I was like, or, you know, that madness. It was causing me extra stress, you know, and making me not a good mom because I was, you know, just. Totally. So, like, yeah, you definitely need, you definitely need it really reliable childcare and like spend the time, the upfront investment on getting that person that is going to help you do that. Um, okay. So number seven is that comparison, and this is true in life, but it is especially true with parenting young children, which is comparison is the thief of joy. Right. So like, I don't know if you remember this, but you know, when your baby's little, I felt like everybody asked me about sleep because they had like nothing else to talk about. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, I remember feeling like it was the sleep Olympic competition in my JCC DC music class on 16th street that everybody was talking about, like whose baby was sleeping the longest. These babies were like five weeks old by the way um (laughs) as though like it had any indication of how good you were as a parent right and like don't and i remember coming home and being like oh my god there's something wrong with her she's only sleeping three hours like but you know there's some babies who sleep an hour like some babies are just good sleepers and so but that happens throughout the first five years because it's like are they do they know their letters are they reading are they walking are they this and like Later on, the milestones become bigger, right? It's like, where are they going to college, whatever. But I I just remember the sheer exhaustion of like every two weeks, somebody asking me like, was my baby doing this yet? And I felt like with the, especially in the first five years, there's so many little milestones along the way and they really become spaced out. Like I, 
I'm noticing now in first grade, like no one's asking, you know, what kind of things is she doing? What kind of like skills has she acquired? Right. Yeah, they asked, so, did, she, did, she show, did she lose her teeth yet? The front teeth? I the guess first like, that's the thing. It's like, has she lost a tooth? Like, she has not. Right. <laughs> so like that, she's very, but like also that is, I, I think, you know, I don't personally think, and I think a lot of top type A lawyers do this is, I don't think that like whether she's lost a tooth has any indication of my parenting, but like, of course, when you have a little one, you're like, oh my God, they don't know their letter, their letters. That's my fault as a parent. Right. And like, you kind of learn as they get older that so much of your kid is just your kid. And like, especially when you have multiple kids about how little your parenting really affects like their actual existence, which is one of my tricks or one of my North stars, I should say. Um, that is a North star, by the way. Yeah. It is a huge yeah. North star because I jokingly say, I thought I was like a super mom with my first because she spoke early and, and she, she was like a year what she want, but she spoke early, full sentences, potty trained at 19 months before the twins were born. She was like such an easy child. And now, because I've raised four teenagers, I learned um, it had nothing to do with me. Right, and, exactly. And I did not have four easy children. I do say to her, you have three other siblings because you made it look, you made it seem that I was like, it was easy. And it's not, it's not. But, right. Um, right. but I agree with the who's reading first, and who's doing this. And you know what? No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, that's the thing, right? Like, I... <laughs> Like, I, I hope that everybody listening to this with little babies, like, you that you did win the champion baby sleeper lottery, but, like, we didn't, and our kids are fine. They sleep through the night. Like, we sleep trained. It was fine. Um, but, right. like, just, I promise you, like, none of it matters. They all read at some point. They all walk at some point. I So my oldest one, she was a super late walker, like, which is, I mean, she's totally, like, no, physically normal. There's no abnormalities, right? So, like, she just, she just didn't want to fucking walk. Like she did not, <laughs> she just didn't. And like, she would stand there and just not take a step, right? She's always been like a little cautious, a little, um, a little anxious. And like, I was so freaked out. Do you think anybody has ever asked me like how old she was when she walked now that she's seven? Of course not. Like it just doesn't come up. Right. Um, but then meanwhile, like she's the kid who at four years old was like teaching herself how to read. It's just different kids have different strengths, but like, I spent so much time stressing that all her friends in preschool were walking and she wasn't. And like now it just doesn't matter. Like it does not matter. Right. Like when your baby rolls over, of course, if your child is like developmentally delayed, like that's, I'm not saying don't get your kid checked out. Don't talk to your pediatrician about it. But I mean like these things at the margins, whether it's at like six months or nine months, like it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. I, so. I agree with you. And I'm just going to, I have to tell this funny early intervention story with my youngest was not early intervention at two to three for growth motor skills and uh, little language issue, like talking, but not clear. And mm -hmm. um, wasn't jumping, wasn't walking up the stairs, wasn't like, so general gross motor. So the OT was at the house and she said, well, I want to see your evening ritual. Like how do you all get upstairs? Um, and you know, for bath time. And I said, okay, this is what I do. Let's go guys, bath time, everyone upstairs. And the kids lined up and my daughter and the twins walked up the stairs and we get to the bottom of the stairs. And as we get to the bottom, Max turns, looks at me and puts his arms up and I bend down and I pick him up and put him on my head. And the OT looks at me and I look at the OT and she's like, is this what you do every night? <laughs> and you're like, oh, guess what? Your youngest one figured out that they don't need to walk. And I said, it's me. I'm, I'm the problem. This is the problem. <laughs> and she said, yes. And I was like, it takes so long and I'm tired. <laughs> so I know. But um, yeah, I, these are so good, Karen. These are so Thanks. good. Um, Thanks. All right. All right, number six. Number six is also applies in the workplace, like significantly, but I call this like being proactive instead of being reactive. Mm -hmm. And so 
I think for parents of young kids, like you have this amazing 12 month old who looks at you with these doe eyes and they can't do a thing wrong in the world. And then the next day you wake up and you have a three year old that's having an epic meltdown about the way that you cut the banana. And like also pro tip, there is never a right way to cut a banana for a toddler. They will use it against you no matter the circumstances. But like kids have meltdowns. Things are hard for them. Trying to get out in front of it instead of always being reactive has like saved me and it has been so many headaches. And so what do I mean by being proactive instead of reactive? So first, like, you know what your kid needs to set themselves up for success, whether you have tapped into that intuitively or you've actively spent time thinking about it. But like, for example, is your a kid, is yours a kid who will be able to not hang with everybody at the 12 noon soccer practice that everybody else is doing because your four-year-old still needs an app, right? Mm -hmm. Do you know that about your kid? So a reactive parent is taking the kid to soccer anyway, and then is saddled with a terrible meltdown, a ruined day, you're cursing soccer forever. And like, you're left wondering why am I a bad parent and why do I have a bad kid, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas a proactive parent is setting their kid up for success by saying, let's try soccer next year and taking the nap during that time. Mm -hmm. Like that parent knows in advance what the things are that will help their kid be set up for success and choose that route. And like, Obviously, this doesn't always work, right? Your kid is going to have some meltdowns about bananas and everything else. But I think asking things in advance, like, hey, do you want to slice this with me? Or would you like to slice it yourself? Can like often be so much that moves the needle. And if you can shift your parenting mindset to being that proactive parent as opposed to a reactive parent, you will feel so much more successful and enjoy parenting a lot more. Right. You know, it's funny because I wrote down as you were talking how to be proactive. Like, and mm -hmm. I think that the banana slice thing is really good example, you know, of simple things of, hey, you know, uh, this seems to be an issue with the, with every kid. Do you want it diagonally sliced, square sliced mm -hmm. bread, um, crust on, crust off, like have them involved in those decision making. Um, yeah. and, and I think that you know, when you talk about soccer practice at 12 or whatever it is, there's that pressure that, again, this is the comparison, yep. which is number seven. Yep. Everyone's yep. doing soccer with their three-year-old. So now yep. I have to do soccer. And you're, what you're saying, I'm, I'm actually as somebody who, you know, this is looking at it in the rear view mirror years by, think, wow, so insightful because, um, I would tell you starting your kids at soccer for, at three years old is too young and 99% of them won't continue because my kids Correct. will say, I did soccer. And I'm like, no, no, no. You did magnet ball for about a year when you were four. That was yeah. not soccer. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. And like, it honestly, this is, again, this is a zero to five range, right? So like, right. I think that the advice is potentially different as your kids get older, but I think that there are so many variations of kids and personality types and like baseline existences when they're that little that like you really have to set your kid up for success. Some kids like at two years old could do a 12 o'clock soccer practice and it would be fine. Mm -hmm. And if that's your kid, that's awesome. Do that. Right. Wow. But if that's not your kid, set yourself up for success. You are going to be fighting a current that is going to overwhelm you right. if you do not become a proactive parent as opposed to reactive. So right. that yeah. is I, helping someone thrive. No, I agree with you. I would always have to like feed my youngest before we went out to dinner. Right. Right. Because the meltdown would occur waiting for the food yeah. because the child yeah. became so starving that, you know, um, I had to like do it beforehand and they could eat while they were there too, but they weren't in that, you know, meltdown stage. Totally. So, totally. Number, right. so, five. number five. Number five is blocking out the just wait until. So for some people who follow me on Twitter, you'll see, I'll, I'll often tweet about like the shenanigans in my life with two little kids and someone with an older child will like inevitably respond with like, just wait until dot, dot, dot. And honestly, these responses, while I think people sometimes think that they're helpful, they actually like drive me insane mm -hmm. because 
Look, every stage is hard in a different way, right? Mm -hmm. Like your baby is sleepless, but they don't talk back there. And there's tantrums and potty training and learning new words and learning how to read. And like, it all just changes, right? So just enjoy the age that your kid is now to the extent that you can. Don't pre-stress about what is to come and block out the people that feel the need to make you feel like there's misery coming down the pipeline, right? Because in my experience, it just isn't true. I remember when I was like so tired and nauseous and awful when I was pregnant and everybody would say like, oh, just wait till the baby comes. Like you're never going to sleep again. And like, yeah, I didn't sleep, but like I wasn't pregnant. So like everybody just wants to project their own, like what happened to them onto your own life. Right? Maybe it'll be worse. Maybe it'll be better. Like, you know, if you want to comment and be like, oh, it gets better, like, that's fine. But, like, to be like, so many times I'll post about something that my kids do, and people will be like, well, just wait till they're teenagers. And it's like, okay, like, uh, they're going to be teenagers one day. Like, it still doesn't make it any less hard right now. Right? So that's just try to block out the just you waits. Right. And it is being in the moment. I mean, you know, enjoying the moment of each age of your kids because, yeah. you know, um, you can't, you can't rewind it, you know? No. no. All right. So number four, we've kind of already talked about this, but like, we're all really just parenting at the margins. Like your kid is your kid. I have one that's like classic oldest child who is that kid who read it for and like, it, you know, is super anxious and the pleasure to be in class and all those. And then I have one that's like uh, a real wild monkey who doesn't really care, but is also like best friends with everybody. You know what I mean? One of my friends put it as your child or um, your children are of you, but they're not you. Right. And like understanding that and understanding that everything we're doing as parents is really just kind of parenting around our kids existing personality from birth is actually quite freeing. Right. And I would say that knowing that they're not you, that they don't have to like what you like, or um, they might be good at things that aren't even in your wheelhouse, um, is embracing the child for who the child is. And um, yep. I will say that I have kids that are very musically talented. Uh, uh-huh. One of my twins can play the piano by the ear, by ear, which... I found out at five when I came downstairs and he's at the piano playing the Violent Femmes, uh, blistering the song. That's awesome. That's awesome. And one of them sings and and um, and they're artistic. Not none of that is in my wheelhouse. And yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. It is so Thanks. fun to watch, like to you know when you when I sit and think like I need these kids and they're incredible at things that. I have no, like, I can't add to it in any way. I can listen, I can cheer, I can, you know, celebrate it, but I love it. I love that it's it's different than who I was and, and who 100%. I am and that, 100%. you know, if yeah. you told me that I was going to have kids that can sing, I cannot carry a tune. I think it's almost, <laughs> it's funny, you know, so. Yeah. But I agree, no, they, sure. they are who they are, whether, you know, you try to like mold them a certain way. Their personalities are their personalities, right? Their personalities, their personalities yeah. Um, okay, so number three is, we've talked about this, is that you'll never regret making a decision that's right for your family in the moment, like with the knowledge that careers are long, right? Mm-hmm. So I remember, you know, this really is like probably my biggest North Star. I remember when you become like a working professional and there's just, especially for women, there is just so much noise out there about what we should be doing, right? Like we should stay home. We should go back to work. We should work for time. We should go for partner. We should go in house. We should never leave our kids before a year. We should absolutely be back at work in 12 weeks. Like it really just never ends. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like something that's always run true for Steve and me is like to make the choice that is best for your family in any given moment. Right. Because your career is long. There are so many twists and turns that happen along the way. And it's like essentially impossible to predict the future. So this is me telling listeners that you should make whatever decision you need to make for your family right now, today. Mm-hmm. And like, you'll never regret doing that. Right. You just have to remember that when you look back, you know, you made the best decision for your family at the exactly. time that you made it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So number two kind of goes with number three, which is that like, you really do have to find a job that aligns with your personal family values. 
Um, and like that no matter how much you plan and no matter how reliable you think your childcare is and no matter like how many I's you've crossed or dotted and T's you've crossed, like emergencies do come up. Um, and if you're in a two parent relationship and even if you're in a single parent relationship, you definitely know this, you have to have another caretaker that at least has some flexibility, right? Because kids get sick, daycare calls, your kid has a fever, um, you you have to figure out a way to make that work with your family, right? And, and make sure you have a plan ahead of time, right? right. Yeah. Of, of who's going to, my, who's going to be in charge. Yeah. If the, the call rings and I'm in a deposition and, you know, we, my husband and I, every Sunday we sit down and we look at our calendar. It's like, okay, if we have a kid home this week, like who's the Monday person who could be the Tuesday person. I'm like, it sucks that we have to do that, but it's, that's just what it is with young kids, you know? Right. So um, my, uh, my kid's dad, um, I like to call him my first husband because we're very uh -huh. amicable. And when I say that, yeah. people assume that like, there's like anger in some ways, but there's not yeah. where, um, we were married 28 years. We have a very good relationship. He'll be at my house next week for Thanksgiving. Um, he was a teacher. He was an art teacher and, mm -hmm. uh, the way we split it and we had the conversation sort of the way you're saying it is, uh, the days I would, I had court lists as a public defender where I would have 50 cases. I could never call out on those days. So if I was in court, he took the day off, he would have to be yeah. home. And if yeah. I wasn't in court and was had an office day, then I would stay home. And we had it in advance so that it wasn't a, you know, sort of fight or, you know, I can't do it right now. So totally. So totally. And then my last one, and obviously there's like, there's so many other parenting tidbits and advice that I have come up with, but this is something that I think just sort of lets us off the hook a little bit, especially as moms, we're so, we become like so wedded to one idea, but like truly allowing your perspective to change, right? There is this expression that I'm sure we've all heard, which is a hundred percent true, which is like the most perfect parent is the one who doesn't have any kids, right? Mm. We all have conceptions about what we're going to be like as a parent. I remember having going out my my older daughter was like nine months old. So this was like six years ago, seven years ago. And I was out with a friend who has three older kids and they were all having like grilled cheese and French fries where my nine month old was having like veggies. And I was like throwing down all these like little foods and she was trying them all. And I just sat there in my smugness, like, oh my God, look, I have the kid who's going to eat everything. And I'll never be the parent who only gives my kid grilled cheese and French fries. Do you, I think you can all guess like what has happened, which is that my kids will literally be like, this isn't cheesy enough. <laughs> this grilled cheese is too grilled. Like it, your perspective, <laughs> things change. Like your kid is going to constantly be changing. And like, you may have had this idea that maybe you'll exclusively breastfeed and that's not working out. And like, it is okay. I am releasing you from the bonds of, what you thought you were going to be like as a parent before you actually had kids. And like, that is true at every twist and turn, especially because of all the things that we've talked about up to this point, right? Like that it's your kid that you, that you don't have control over it. That you don't really know what your kid's going to be like at three when versus 13. Right. And like allowing your perspective to change over time on parenting. Um, it's just a freeing concept. Like you don't have to commit to like one style of parenting. I feel like, especially in the zero to five age range, there is so much noise on social media about being like a Montessori mom and a like a low, like a gentle parent or like a whatever, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you don't have to label yourself as a parent and fit into that box at every moment, right? Like it's okay. Right. And, um, I would, and so like your kids parenting your two daughters, you probably have to parent Maggie differently than you parent Absolutely. Sydney. Absolutely. Do you, um, do you think that idea of um, wanting to be, you know, when your daughter was nine months old and you were serving vegetables and, you know, you know, very healthy food and, you know, I love that you said sitting in your smug smugness because I think I had with my first because I wanted this 
vision of being a perfect mom because of the guilt of being a working mom. And so do you, do you think that the reason why you, I was going to say, why do you think like the, there was that I'm only feeding my kids vegetables sort of, you know? Oh, because you, it's like something that you can control when they're nine months old, right? (laughs) You're like, it's, it's all about the idea that you have all sorts of control over how your kid is going to be, right? And so when they're nine months old, you actually do have a lot of control over what life is like, right? You can kind of decide like where they sleep, what they eat, all of those things. And like that just changes really, really fast when it comes down the pipe and they're a toddler and you have a lot less control. And then when they become like a full-blown person, you have even less control, right? So like, I think that is, you know, just, again, it is a lot about that illusion of control when our kids are very young, because everything else feels so out of control. You're so tired, your body has changed, your life is a, feels like a mess. And so it's like, you delude yourself into thinking that because you're giving your kid like an organic pouch, you have succeeded at motherhood. And like, in that moment, it might feel better. And like, that's okay. And I I fully support you if like you want, if you feel like you need to make your kids food to like, feel as though you are being a good parent, then do that. Right. Um, But I'm also here to tell you that like, my kids are great. And I never made uh, one piece of baby food. I'm like, I did not either. Not one. So I'm going to I just have, like, I love your list, and um, if, if you have, like, the points, like, there, I mean, and this is, like, the beginning of a book, Karen, so I'm not sure oh, if you're working thank on thank you. Um, but, um, you know, you said you and Steve have, like, this, you both parent. Um, yeah, and we do. Did you know that going in, like, was there, like, the conversation, I, and I'm totally projecting here, but... Um, you know, I did most of the parenting and it just, it, it got to the point that I did all the parenting. I mean, he parents, but I mean, I did all the, the mental load, the, the meals, the laundry, the, you know, and so, um, do you have any advice to like, when you say we both parent to like new moms or young moms with, um, managing it all? with their yeah, spouse so like, or partner sure 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 so did we talk about it in advance not really i mean we both knew that we wanted to be involved parents and i think if you're in like the super early days of parenthood like zero to six months don't judge your spouse by like those times i remember i mean i love my husband and steve if you're listening to this like i love you but like i literally thought about murdering him like there were multiple times where i was like I want to do this by myself. He's driving me so insane. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is partially biological. Like I breastfed, so there was a lot that fell on me. I felt like he was, you know, there is something to be said about like a maternal instinct that kicks in with some people of like just kind of knowing how things work. And like, especially in the baby days, like my husband's like a very intellectual person who I think likes to have a lot of feedback and a lot of like, quote-unquote discussions obviously my kids were not having like legal discussions but he likes to see like is this working is this not working and like with a baby you just don't get any of that and I think he found that very very frustrating in a way that he could not have prepared for in advance um and so but now that we that they are six and four I mean we split so much I I feel like as much as this sucks and to put like another thing on women that we have to do is like you have to at the beginning, force your spouse into it sometimes a little bit, right? So like the way that we have done that is, you know, some of the tricks that have worked for us is Steve Steve has done every single drop-off other than when he is traveling for the last seven years. Like he is, he takes them to school every single day. Um, And that is his thing. And like, I don't do it. Like, it, it, unless there was some sort of emergency. It's not like he's like, oh, I want to go play tennis. Can you do drop-off? Like, the answer is no, I don't do drop-off, right? He does drop-off. Uh, on the weekends, we have we have called it, and I think it has worked very well for us, a quarter system where it's like Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, mm-hmm. and we break it up by quarters. And, like, 
Steve is always in charge of Saturday morning for his quarter. That's his quarter. He takes them out. They go to swimming lessons. He takes them to ballet. He like, and maybe it was hard for him the first day to like transition from a swim lesson to putting tights on for ballet, right? Like that probably sucked. And I, yes, I did have to remind him like tights go under the leotard. And guess what? Like if I had just stepped in and done it, then I would be the one stuck doing it all the time. Right. And like, that's not helpful. And so then just saying like, okay, Steve, you can do this. Like, and guess what? He does it. I don't know if he likes it, but he does it. And I do something else. And I usually play tennis or I go for a walk or I go for a run or whatever. I just sit in bed. So and I'm then ask, we, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. I was just going to say like, and then we usually do like a family activity or the kids have a play date on Saturday afternoon. Sunday morning, I'm in charge. And now with the great part about that is they have drop off Sunday school. So now I'm like in charge of a time where they're in Sunday school. So great. Um, then, you know what I mean? So just like, Thinking about those quarters, because I think especially when you have weekends with little kids, like they can feel interminably long. Mm-hmm. Um, and like knowing that one parent is in charge one quarter and then they have their nap and then maybe another parent is in charge of the other quarter, that really helped us. So like those are all just little tricks. But like, yes, we I expect a lot of him and I don't I don't really settle for like him not knowing our kids schedule and him not knowing how to do stuff with our kids like so he he does it so my question to you is are you a Mm -hmm. millennial i am born in 1984 so i believe that my generation is elder millennial yes okay so i ask you this because i'm a gen x gen yeah and my um kid's father was a baby boomer he's a little older okay yeah, um, which, uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, my parents are boomers, and there is no way that this was their dynamic. So, so I think that, th- again, this is for people with, like, babies now, more my generation and even younger. Yeah. Um, I think that that's, like, one of the most fundamental shifts of our generation versus your generation. Well, generation I, I can tell you that I think it is, and I say to my friends who are having kids now, make sure that... Uh, the parenting, there's parity in the parenting because I think my generation was um, really told, I don't know if we were sold or told that we could have it all, that we could have the careers and have the families. And I don't know if that was interpreted for us to do it all, but most Mm -hmm. women my age will discuss that in the end, we did it all. We were the full-time mom, even if we had full-time jobs. And I remember even when I went back to work and and Barry is a teacher, so he was home at like 2.30. And he's like, you go back to work and I'll take the kids off the bus and I will do what you've been doing. And I was like, okay. And then within like a month, he's like, it's really hard, I can't do it, we need a sitter. And I said to a friend of mine who's a doctor and her husband's a doctor and we're about the same age. And I was said, what, what am I doing? What are we, what should I do? And she goes, just get the sitter. It'll be fine. They can't do it. And I think like that is the difference between generations that it would be unacceptable. What? Yes. Among most working women at least. I I think that that's right. And honestly, like, do I think it's perfect? A hundred percent not. If I ask my, if I ask my husband today, like, what size, what size skirt? My daughter wears a uniform to the school. I'd be like, what size uniform skirt does he wear? He'd be like, um, normal. Like, he wouldn't even know like what size that means. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, there's a lot of stuff that he does that like I don't do. Right? Like, if he was like, okay, Karen, go ch-, like, and I realize that this sounds so traditional like traditional sex roles but like he if he was like go change the filter in the attic i'd be like i'm not going up there you know what i mean so like there definitely are things that we both each do some of them are more gendered than others like the traditional mm-hmm. you know he might not know how to do a ponytail but like he figures it out when i go away he figures it out and like i think that there is like that's a tip that i would have for someone with a young baby is like leave the house leave your baby alone with your husband or spouse or whoever is, you know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. first of all, it's good for your baby to have multiple caretakers and it's good for you to have a break. And like your husband or whoever it is, if you're in like a a hetero cis relationship, 
Like they need to have that experience so that they can fail and figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. Like they need to have a baby who won't stop crying because if they don't experience that, then they don't know what you're going through, right? Like all of those things are important and I know that they're hard in the moment. And I think that that's why so many new moms like do have that desire to murder their husbands because they feel like, oh my God, they don't know what I'm going through. But like, it is on you to sort of walk away and like make them figure it out, you know? I agree. I agree. And and it's okay if they figure it out differently. That was a hard lesson. Yeah. For me. You know, it's 100%. okay that that you can parent differently. because um, there's not one way. Um so I'm gonna ask you a few questions. I know we were focusing on the North Stars of parenting of young kids. Um, but I always like to ask attorneys this question. Um specifically because I have kids interested in going to law school and I've had a lot of friends who are retired judges or, you know, had a career in the law that are very opinionated on this. Um, So we can say as a lawyer or as a professional woman, would you, uh, what advice would you give either to your younger self or to a 22 year old today if they said, I'm thinking about law school? That's a good question. So I think that the question is, you know, people say like they want to be a lawyer, but I don't think that they think that far ahead about like what they want to do with their law degree. Right. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I ask that is that I think if you say to yourself, I really want to try out being like a big firm lawyer, like I have a picture of myself, like being a lawyer on Wall Street and, you know, getting on the subway in New York City and doing that, then that's like a question about like where you should go to law school and how do you maximize those odds. If your question is, I want to be like in legal tech, like I want to be like a a legal adjacent person, or I just want to get my law degree because I want to go work in my family business or something along those lines, like really think about what you think you might want to do with your law degree. Again, with the idea that careers are long, but like, are you going for the highest paying job that you can possibly go for? Are you going for going to law school with as little debt as possible? Are you going like, Mm -hmm. those are all questions that really should sort of guide you on where you decide you want to go to law school. Um, So I went to the university of Miami where I had a full scholarship. I, that has been hugely helpful in my life, right? Like it helped me get, I, I was lucky enough that I had, you know, good grades and good, I knew, I knew people and like all of those productive things that helped me get good jobs. But like, I didn't, I wasn't saddled with, you know, now it's like 300 grand of debt if you go to a school where you're going full frame. So like, those are questions that I think you should just be asking yourself and thinking about them because the number one thing that I hear from law students who are feeling like they're trapped in a job or feeling overwhelmed is that they're saddled with so much debt. And like, the question is, if you could go to a slightly lesser ranked law school, but potentially go for free, or maybe maybe law school just is not the path. Maybe it just is too expensive. Um, so those are questions that I think are very helpful to ask. Right. So I always say to my kids that the people that don't love being lawyers, that they know are my friends, are people that got stuck in a job in an area of law that paid the bills for them and pay their loans and they never liked it and they didn't switch because they were so connected to that salary. Um, And then the attorneys that I know really love it, love the area of law that they're practicing. And so if I meet a young attorney and they're like, I I don't really think I like what I'm doing. My first response is change your area of law right now before you get stuck. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, any 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 other advice um, that you would give that is not in your top ten list, but maybe if you knew it before Maddie was born, not the bad advice, not the you know your life is going to change, it's never going to be the same. Oh my god, not the bad advice, but like yeah. the the piece of advice that. Um, somebody gave you beforehand and you were like, oh my goodness, I, I do live by that. <laughs> um, I will have shared a bunch of them, you know, like things that I try to live by. Um, I mean, like, look, at the end of the day, all of this is just secondary to loving your child, mm-hmm. right? Like, 
we as parents actually have like the greatest ability to influence our kids like long-term happiness by just like showing them love right and like i know sometimes it's hard in the moment that doesn't mean i'm a perfect parent and never yell at my kids but like i really try to show them that like you can repair right you can say i'm sorry mm -hmm. you can own up to mistakes you can show love in a way that even if you make mistakes you can go to them after and say you know what i yelled and i'm really sorry about that and like I never got that as a kid. That just was not the way that my parents ever parented. It was not that the way that they're certainly not the way that the generation above them parented, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think like for our generation of parents, like to be able to show our kids love through saying, I'm not perfect either. I'm really sorry. Like that's a really an amazing gift. And actually that is doable regardless of your profession how much money you make like mm -hmm. all the other things are irrelevant if you could just like be guided by i'm just going to show my child love and that is like showing them that you're a real person and also that you make mistakes and that they hopefully come to you and say i made a mistake and i'm sorry you know yes yes definitely different than uh, any baby boomer generation but yes i i still say i say i'm human i made a mistake i overreacted yep. i you know, yeah. but um, Karen, thank you so much. You and you're so welcome. I really appreciate this. I love your list, and uh, I look forward to when your kids are in the six to ten range. Yeah, I'll have another one. You will have another one. I actually think it's probably, and I could be wrong, about zero to seven or eight years old. I I felt like up until third grade. Now I had a lot of younger kids. Thank you for listening in. Mighty Merp is available on iTunes, Spotify, and all your favorite apps and players. But the best way to experience the show is to visit MightyMerp.com. That's MightyMerp.com. This isn't a just you wait, but this podcast but is not a source that, of legal advice. Um, no two legal cases are the same. Contact an attorney if you require legal were assistance. Place, and they were all my kids, fortunately, are all good students. They don't have any learning issues. And so they were very self-sufficient, even during COVID and switching to online schooling. Having my kids in college and having young adults, I do feel like I'm parenting as much as when they were toddlers because they don't know how to adult in lots of ways. And I don't mean it negatively. I just mean, you know, um, they don't know how, they didn't know how to go to the pharmacy when they go into college. I had to actually give them a step-by-step. This is what you do. You go up to the pharmacist, you, you know, because they didn't do it. And it's the same um, with lots of adulting issues. They call me constantly. And, um, and I like because I think, oh my goodness, I think you guys ask me more questions now than you have since you were in that zero to five or zero to eight year old range. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's just parenting. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Well, so, this was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Um, thank you again. And I hope to talk to you soon, Karen. Absolutely.